welcome into the <laughs> welcome into the Musketeer Report live podcast edition. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you, and we are going to recap a big week for Xavier this past week, going out to Portland, the PK-85. We're taking your questions, so if you're listening back later, if you're listening to the podcast, Rick and I will tell you what the comment or the question is, so that way you're not lost or confused. Uh, but we'll, if you're watching right now, we'll put the comment right down here at the bottom of the screen, and if you're watching on YouTube, we'll see all the comments there so we can just pour them on over. If you have a question, if you have anything, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, just put your comment in there and we'll bring it up on the screen. Yeah, Rick, I, do, I do not believe Twitter comments work. That was always the case in the past. We haven't done this for like six months, but I assume that's still the case. So, Yeah, you, well, you can watch it on Twitter, but if you comment in on the Periscope or the Twitter live feed, we don't see it in our chat to be able to pull it over. So you got to comment on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, Rick, let's let's get started in the last week. Uh, seemingly uh, kind of a polarizing week for Xavier fans. Uh, Xavier goes one and two out in Portland. They get a win over Florida and then they lose to Duke and Gonzaga. And the way I want to start this off and, and present this to you, and I'm very curious to hear what you're going to have to say on this. When you and I sat down for the preseason podcast, you and I, we've gone six for six. We've, we've, we've predicted every game the way that it has played out, including a win over Florida, and then two losses after that. So we also both finished out by saying that Xavier could go on and get the wins that they needed the rest of the way to make the NCAA tournament fairly comfortably to a point where maybe they're not sweating the bubble necessarily on Selection Sunday. But you are at the same time in a position now where you have West Virginia on Saturday, and you have Cincinnati next week. I don't want to say either of those are must-wins as opposed to maybe a can't-lose, especially against Cincinnati. Granted, it's a road game and a rivalry game, but the rivalry aspect of it doesn't mean anything in the, in the rankings of the computers. They don't take that into effect at all. So when you look at how Xavier has set themselves up well or not well, depending on what you're going to say, I tweeted last night after the game that, to me, this is a Xavier team, and I I, I spent a while to crafting that because I, I thought to myself, people are going to have strong opinions on this. So I said that this is an NCAA tournament team come March because the way that they have played, especially yesterday, down a starter with Adam Kunkel, without Adam Kunkel, Xavier has performed in a way that gives me the confidence in saying that they will eventually close games out like they have. They've just ran into a good shooting Gonzaga team and some tough luck against Duke where Jack Nungie and Zach Fremantle are basically non-factors in that game and Adam Kunkel gets hurt with a big portion of the second half left. That is a long-winded way to tee up whatever you're about to say, but those were my thoughts on the week and how the schedule is now shaping up. Yeah, so I think the, the real issue that I'm looking at is are we certain – that West Virginia and Cincinnati Cincinnati are going to be quad one opportunities because I don't think that's a guarantee. I think West Virginia is probably going to end up being, they have to be top 30, right? I mean, they have to be top 30 in that case. Yeah. Cause it's a home game. Yeah. So are we certain that West Virginia is a top 30 team? I'm not certain of that. Are we certain that UC is a top 75 team? Cause that's what they'd have to be for a road game to be quad one. 
I'm definitely yeah. not certain about that. So that is the issue that I'm seeing is I think Xavier can win both of those games. But you might be in a situation here where you played pretty good basketball. You feel positive about the direction of the program. A lot of things look improved, but you don't have that quad one win in the non-conference. And then you're headed into Big East play in search of your first quad one win. Now, that's not the end of the world, because if you look at years past in Big East play, you're usually going to have another eight to 10 opportunities for a quad one win if simply because almost everyone in the conference is top 75 and you're going to go on the road 10 times. So, I mean, you know, there's a few teams that are going to be exceptions and this year it may be slightly weaker than typical years. So there might not be quite as many, but that's kind of the issue that I'm looking at right now. I think you can feel really positive about this team. You can feel good about the direction of it. I saw your tweet and I saw it did really good numbers, which suggests to me that a lot of Xavier fans felt the same way coming out of this tournament in Portland that, yeah, they went one and two, but you played multiple top 10 teams in the two games that you lost and you feel pretty good about where things are at. The only issue I see resume wise is, do you have enough opportunities uh, uh, the rest of the way? And more importantly, you know, you, you've got to take advantage of those once you get in conference play. And we're we're still a few weeks away from worrying too much about that. But I think that's kind of where I'm at with it after this Portland tournament. Yeah, and, and I kind of had the same thought where Xavier now has less leeway, right? If you beat Duke and you beat Gonzaga, if you go 3-0 and this weekend and then you lay an egg in the shootout, it's not that big of a deal. But now if you lose in the shootout on the road when when you're going on the road and potentially a quad one opportunity if you lose at home to a West Virginia team that right now is 30th in Ken Palm like the the leeway there isn't as great as if you had closed out Indiana or Duke or Gonzaga and like you said Florida probably not going to move the needle by the end of the season as much as they might move the needle now if that even means anything and the other Flip side of that coin, too, is the Big East. How many quad one opportunities are there going to be in the Big East this year? I think the Big East will end up being better than they look right now. But Seton Hall lost to Siena. Villanova looks terrible. Granted, they're down Cam Whitmore and uh, Justin Moore. But is Justin Moore going to come in and save the season uh, immediately? You know, That's the classic age-old question. He's well, well, good enough to, but... But to that point, I mean, Villanova is a top 75 team for sure, right? Like they're going to be top 75. That could be a winnable game on the road all of a sudden to give you another quad one opportunity. So like when people start worrying about, oh, the top half of the league isn't doing as well as it normally does in non-conference, I wouldn't worry as much about that. It's more a question of, do you have that typical middle strength of the league to make sure you've got enough top 75 teams? where you can go on the road and get a potential quad one win. And that, and in my opinion, I think the Big East is still going to have enough of that when you start going through and you're like, oh, St. John's is playing pretty well right now. Obviously, you've got UConn and Creighton. Um, can you get an, a couple more teams in that top 75 range so that when you go and play them on the road, you have a quad one opportunity? And I think for the most part, that, that'll be the case. Alex asked us, is West Virginia a must win for uh, non-conference purposes? Lots of discussion on the boards. What's your take on that? Do you think West Virginia? I like the what the must win tag to me. Just it doesn't do a lot for me. I'm not a I, big must win guy, but I do think that's a game where, in terms of your non conference resume, that's pretty much all that's left there. Like beating UC, granted it's a road win, but beating UC, I'm not sure how much that's going to mean this year. It's like what I said. The 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 computers. It's kind of the facts don't care about your feelings thing. The computers don't care about the rivalry. 
Like right. beating UC is great for the fans. It's great for everybody involved. But when it comes down to the resume, it's not going to be as much as beating West Virginia. And when you talk about a must win, I have gone in depth to loyal Musketeer Report pod listeners. They know my feelings on a must win game in December. But to an extent in the non-conference, when you look back at it in March, we're sitting here on March 6th going, well, you know, the key win graphic pops up on the on the screen and it says key wins and bad losses and Xavier the classic, the classic balance where, well, there's no bad losses, but key win. Uh, well, you know, they beat, they beat Providence on the road. They, they won at St. John's and well, okay. Yeah, they did win at home against West Virginia. So that's where a win like this against West Virginia at home can come back to really help Xavier in March. I think, cause I think West Virginia, if they can hold their ground in the big 12, and they look at right now, they were 29th in the AP for anybody that cares about that. They were just outside the rankings today, 30th in Ken Palm. They look, they look serviceable this weekend. I got to see them a little bit. I mean, you know, that's that's a team that if they if they hold their ground, that'll end up being a good win. But yeah, but that that to me does feel like a game that Xavier should win with it being at home, the way they've been playing. If they continue to do the things they've been doing, they should be in position to win that game. And they're you know, it's a, it's one thing to say we didn't get over the hump against Duke. We didn't get over the hump against Gonzaga. But to be at home against this West Virginia team, who's solid but not great, that's one where, okay, you got to get over the hump against these guys. So it, I don't know if I use the term must win, but it feels like a big game for, for Zayn. It, it would be more concerning. I don't know how I'm, I'm going to butcher how I'm going to say this. I would be more worried about Xavier if they lost this game than what I would be for Xavier to be glad that they won this game if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, this is a game that Xavier should win at home to boost their resume. Yeah, I think I think the concern becomes at that point, okay, if you're close again against West Virginia and you don't find a way to win that game, is that just who you are now as a team? Do, yeah. Can you just not find a way to come up with wins when it matters? And, and obviously that's something worth exploring if you get to that point. I don't think we're there yet. I think there are a lot of good things that we've seen to this point and a lot of good things that came out of this Portland trip. And then there are definitely concerns, and and most of them start on the defensive side, and and I think we can address both the positive and the negative from Portland. If you want to get into that stuff, Paul. Yeah, let's go right into it. Portland this week, Xavier went one and two. They beat Florida. Uh, wait, hold on. Oh, I I just pulled a. I had the YouTube stream pulled up, and I looked like I was lagging. Uh, I looked. That was that was an out of body experience there for about five seconds. Uh, I just want to be clear that is young Paul Fritchner having issue with yes. technology, not not me. Well, I had the I have the YouTube chat pulled up in a separate tab just to make sure everything's working, and I'm sitting here like I was ten seconds behind. Anyway, Xavier goes one and two last week. They beat Florida. Uh, they they closed out that game. Beat Florida. Had Duke on the ropes, but. That game, it, it always just felt like the energy in the building. It just felt like I was sitting next to Adam Baum for for all three games, and and Adam and I kept looking at each other during that uh, Duke game, and it was just like every time Xavier, the crowd would get into it, and the Duke crowd would get out of it, and Xavier tried to make a run. Duke had an answer. Xavier just couldn't string the consecutive stops together that they needed to really get back into the game and win the game when they needed it and you catch a tough break with Fremantle and Nunji having bad, both off games on the same night and Kunkel getting hurt too. Bad yeah. Mix. And I, th- 
I think Sean Miller said it perfectly after the game where he was like, it's, it's no shame losing to Duke. And by the margin that we lost by, that's not really what bothers you about that performance. What bothers you about the performance is you had an opportunity against Duke when they weren't at their best and they looked very beatable on that night. And Xavier came nowhere close to playing what they're capable of. And whether it was the fact that, like you mentioned, you just didn't get a good night from Jack Nunji, just couldn't put the ball in the basket. Um, and Colby Jones didn't quite seem to be himself. Maybe that was a, a part of playing back-to-back days on that ankle. Who knows? But I think that's part of it. But then also, like you said, you're going through that game and it just never felt like Xavier ever got into a rhythm or got on track, especially on the offensive side. And they have been like, if you, if you go to the Florida game or you go to the Gonzaga game, they had big stretches in both of those games where they were really good offensively. And that just never really happened in the Duke game. You feel like if they could have had one of those stretches where they go five to seven minutes where they're on full tilt and they're, they're putting shots in, they might have had a chance to win that Duke game even without Jack Nunji playing well and even without Coley Jones being 100%. So I thought Miller nailed his, his post-game press conference after the Duke game of just – it was frustrating because you didn't even put your best foot forward at all. Yeah, and, and that was the feeling, too, that you got walking away from it where you're thinking to yourself, man, there's a missed opportunity. And then especially after the Gonzaga game where you're thinking Indiana, Duke, and Gonzaga, where in all three games you find yourself down late, you come back, and then you can't close it out. And and that's that's a frustrating feeling, especially against a team like Duke that looked beatable. I mean – they were on the ropes against Oregon State, thought thought they the Beavers might get it done. They don't. They had two open, wide-open looks at the buzzer uh, to, to tie the game, send it to overtime. They don't get it done. And then Xavier, obviously, and then Duke gets blown out the next night or two nights later against Purdue in the championship game. And that was a, that was a game where Duke, when you talk about getting stops when you need them, Purdue did not allow Duke to score at all, not even a free throw. Duke was scoreless for the last seven minutes of the game. So Xavier just never had that defensive stretch in the Duke game when they needed it. Yeah, well, and defensively, Xavier just has not been good. Let's face it. I mean, you look at the, what was it? I I did the math on this, but there were basically two halves, I think, that entire time that they were in Portland where they didn't allow 40 points. That's not going to get it done. And that's not what you think of when you think of Sean Miller basketball. And so when I look at it, I I guess my, my question is what are their biggest issues defensively? And I think first and foremost, they're not rebounding. They are, they're one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the high major ranks right now. And I think that is something that you're not used to seeing from a Sean Miller coach team. So we can definitely talk about that. The other thing that really stands out to me is the lack of three-point defense. They're allowing their opponents to shoot almost 39% from three-point distance right now. It's going to be tough to win a lot of games. Now, they're not giving up a ton of threes necessarily in all of these games, but they are giving up a really high percentage, and a lot of the looks they're giving up are really quality looks. And then the final thing, which has been weird, and I don't know if this is like an overall issue for them or if it's one of those things that because it's happened a few times, it is just glaring and it's driving everybody nuts, but allowing all the easy baskets that they are on underneath out of bounds plays. That's something that is weird to watch. And I know for the coaching staff, it just has to be incredibly infuriating because they just keep losing guys right underneath their own basket when they're guarding inbounds plays. And, and they've given up a lot of essentially layups or dunks in those spots. So those are kind of the main things that I've seen that I've got my eye on. I forget the exact quote, but Sean talked about 
that in one of his press conferences and and basically how frustrated he was that those easy looks just keep getting converted. And then on the other side, in the Gonzaga game, in the first half, Xavier goes five for 17 on layups. So Xavier wasn't converting on the easy ones either. And that's just, you can't have all of those things happening at the same time and expect to put something together to have a ton of success. And, and not to jump straight into the Gonzaga game, but it just felt like some of those themes from Duke carried over to Gonzaga where yes, in the end you take a 13 point deficit against Gonzaga and you turn it into an eight point lead, a 21 point swing in a game against a a team that at the time was ranked in the top 10 in the country. But down the stretch, Gonzaga just hits every shot from everywhere on the court. Doesn't matter where they were. doesn't matter what, who was shooting it. It was going in and again, just couldn't get the stops when it counted. Yeah. I I mean, I think the themes have persisted through all these games. Really. I don't think I've seen much of a difference in who the savior team is from start through what are we in game seven now? I mean, a lot of the same things keep coming up. I think I want to stick on the defensive side for a minute here and, and talk about how much better can they get? Because I think that's where a lot of fans are at. It's like, okay, you're telling me the issues. You're pointing out the issues. We've heard Sean Miller talk about the issues after games. Can they improve on those things? Can they get better at those things? Or is this just who they are? Are they deficient in terms of their personnel? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Let's start with the three-point shooting. I mentioned they're allowing teams to shoot almost 39% from three-point range. Why is that happening? I think it's partly due to personnel, but also partly due to the flaws of the pack line defense. I think we've seen that in the past with, Chris Mack with Travis Steele and now back to Sean Miller. He, he ran the pack line the first time he was here. He was the one who brought it here and it stayed here ever since. And that is something the pack line defense is a gap man-to-man defense. Meaning if someone drives, you want to have bodies in the gap, you're going to really help in those gaps when guys look to drive or when the ball goes into the post. And to me, that's what's contributing to a lot of the open three-point shots. They're overhelping, whether that be on a drive or whether that ball goes into the post. And let's let's face it, they've played some really, really good post players. When you're talking about Trace Jackson Davis, Colin Castleton, Kyle Filipowski, Drew Timmy. I mean, they have played elite post players. So I understand to some extent why you're overhelping on the post a little bit. But I think that's also part of why they're giving up a lot of three-point shots and, and quality three-point shots to their opponents. So can that get better? I think it can, and I think it will get somewhat better. But I also think, that's always going to be part of an issue for a team that plays a pack line defense and especially a team that plays a pack line defense and also isn't a very good defensive team. They, they have some guys on the wing. that are a little bit slower. They don't have elite length. That's going to be a problem to some extent. I think that's something that they're going to have to live with. So can they get better than giving up 39% from three? I think so. And I think part of it will be maybe over helping a little bit less but they're still going to have their issues, I think, there. there. There was a lot of talk yesterday in that Gonzaga game about going over or going under the screens, defending the threes. Was there anything that you saw that stood out that Xavier maybe has done or not done in that area? Yeah, so I think in that Gonzaga game specifically, there were at least three plays, maybe four. Two of the ones were the the Strother threes, where, they, I mean, those were absolute daggers when Xavier had just made that big run to take an eight-point lead, and then all of a sudden those final, what was it, four or five minutes, Gonzaga just yeah. roars back with a huge run of their own, and his two 25-foot threes were a big part of that. On both plays, Colby Jones was guarding him, and on both plays it was a situation where there was basically a dribble handoff at the top of the key, 
and Colby Jones kind of had to go underneath the screen and then couldn't quite recover to him. And again, he's shooting a 25-footer. So it's not like his toes were on the line and Colby couldn't get back to him. In both instances. And then there was another one where Kiki Tandy kind of got screwed in the same scenario uh, earlier in the game. I felt they played it right. to, To answer the question whether you go over the screen there or not, it's a read. It's a read. They can do it either way. They have to communicate that, both the big that's guarding the screener and the guy who's on the ball, what they're going to do. And if they're going to go underneath, the big has to open up to allow them through. And in those cases where you know, you're 25, 26 feet away from the basket, most of the time you're going to go underneath of that, just like Colby did. However, the problem is as he's going underneath it, and it's a dribble handoff, so the big man's handing the ball off this way as he's going underneath this way, the big man is also sliding another foot and a half as he's doing the dribble handoff. That's a moving screen. I mean, you, you there's no recourse for that if you're the defender other than blowing it up and running right through the guy. And in that case, it's 50-50 whether you're going to get called for a foul or not. So, I mean, to me, that was really the issue on both of those long threes by Strother and another one uh, where they got Tandy. And I can't remember who hit the shot, but it's a situation where they're just allowing Gonzaga's big men to set a moving screen. The two times for Strother, it was Watson who said it. The time on Tandy, it was uh, Drew Timmy who said it. But both times, they did the exact same thing. And you almost wonder if that's kind of something that Gonzaga teaches, essentially. It's like, hey, they're only going to call about 20 25% of these if we do it every time. And all the other times, we're going to get open threes as a result of it. So we're going to we're going to take our chances there and continue to play that way. Because, I mean, really, I didn't think there was a huge issue with Xavier's defense on the play. I thought Gonzaga simply got away with a moving screen. So let me pose this one to you, Rick. And I saw somebody brought it up on the board. I didn't get a chance really to to go through the board too much today, but I I scrolled it real quick and I saw somebody bring this up. How, and not not necessarily in style of play, but just in outscoring your opponent, when you look at a team like Iowa, that we have talked so much about where Iowa will put up a hundred points on you, but they'll give up 105 and it's just going to be a a shootout every night. How much of that now, as we've seen through six games is just Xavier's identity. Well, I think that's who they are right now. That is not who Sean Miller wants them to be or who he's going to accept them being. That's just not in his DNA. He's not going to be a guy that says, oh, yeah, we stink defensively. We're just going to try to outscore you. Yeah, Not going to happen. They are going to get better defensively. I think – I can't remember. It might have been Nick um, Mad Dog on the board who said it. But someone brought up the point is it's like – Did you just dock somebody? No, I mean, he's he's been around forever. (laughs) He thinks he knows. But anyway – uh, they, they, they dox themselves enough. If Nick's mad at me, he can, uh, <laughs> he can text me later, but I, someone brought up the point on the board. And I believe it was him that Xavier may never be above average. So if we're like ranking them on a 10 point scale, they may, ne- may never even be a five defensively, but they're probably like a two or two and a half right now. Can they get to a four? I think they can. And I think there are certain things. So like we mentioned the three point shooting, I mentioned, I think they can improve incrementally there. The rebounding part of it, I have no doubt that they're going to get better as a rebounding team. Are they going to be top 50 in the country? Probably not. But are they going to be, what are they now, like 250th? In rebounding? It's bad. Yeah, I think it's like outside the top 250 right now in defensive rebounding percentage. They're not going to be that bad long term. So that's another area where I think they'll get better. Um, The allowing a lot of easy baskets on underneath out of bounds plays, to me, I went back and I watched all the baskets they've given up on underneath out of bounds. And 
I don't think there's necessarily like a set action or something that's giving them the same issue every time. To me, it's just a communication thing. Now, I do see a, a certain someone that is involved in seemingly most of these plays, and it happens to be Zach Fremantle. So Zach has obviously struggled defensively his entire time since he's been on campus. How much better is he going to get at that? I honestly have my questions at this point. I really don't know, but I, I think he has to meet the staff halfway on this one. It's like they're going to continue to teach and demand more out of these guys. But Zach also just ha- like, you got to communicate better on switches underneath the basket when you're running something. Out of it. And it's not just him. There's other guys. The communication overall has to get better, but I do think that's something that can definitely be fixed. So again, it's like, you know, how in terms of my order of confidence that it'll get fixed, I think rebounding's number one. That I'm almost certain will get better. Underneath out of bounds plays, I am certain will get better. Will they continue to give some up? Maybe, but I don't think it's going to be like a big issue long term. Overall transition defense is another area where I think they need to get better. And I think that again goes just back to communication. When you're sprinting back on defense, you don't have a man. And I think sometimes guys want to run back and be like, oh, there's my guy over there. I'm going to kind of jog over to the corner. I'm only going to go half speed because I'm close enough to my guy. That's not how you play transition defense. It's all hands on deck. You stop the ball first, then you recover and you find your man after that. I don't know if they're doing a good enough job of that sometimes. So that's another thing where I'm certain that they will get better. The thing I am least confident about them improving is the three-point defense. I think that is partly due to the pack line system and what you, you can see within the pack line. And it's partly due to the personnel that they have. If they had quicker, more athletic, longer wings, I would feel better about the fact that they would be able to improve their three point defense more drastically as it is with guys like Adam Kunkel and Kiki Tandy. And if you're taking those guys out, you're bringing in probably freshmen off the bench. I don't know how much better they're going to get in terms of their three point defense. Yeah, Xavier's pretty pretty far down the uh, down the totem pole in their three point defense right now. I think they are uh, three hundred and twenty three three hundred and twenty second right now on Ken Palm in, in three point defense. So they got issues, Rick, to to correct on that. Oh well, there you go. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> yeah, right on. Alex said according to Ken Palm, X is three twenty two in three point defense, letting teams make thirty nine percent of the threes. That has to improve. I don't know if Alex is just ignoring everything we're saying right here, or if that question was like thirty minutes ago. But it's no, it, it came in at nine twenty eight. So uh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I think we just addressed that, Alex. But I agree with you. I think that's something that they have to get better at, and I, I think they'll get somewhat better at. I, I, I do have some concerns about that long term, though. Um, uh, let's see here. Xavier coverage asks, besides defense, what is the biggest flaw so far this year? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I, hold on, hold on. Do you need a bigger flaw than their defense? Because that's why they're losing games. Like everything else has been pretty damn good, I would say. I think that yeah. is the flaw. That's the issue with this team is is the defense. I you got to get better defensively, and that includes defensive rebounding too. I would throw in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was sitting here trying to think like maybe the depth. Maybe you haven't got as much out of the bench as you were hoping. Yeah, well, I mean, then we can talk about the offense too, because I I have plenty of stuff on that. Um, is there? Let's see. Are there any questions here to wrap up defense defensively before we switch to the offensive side? Uh, let's let's see here. Take a look. Um, 
Mark's, Mark asked about the perimeter D, which again, I think we talked about already. Uh, no, I think, I think that's pretty much it. Appreciate all your questions, Alex, Mark, all you guys, Tim, appreciate your guys' questions. We'll get to some more of these as we, uh, as we continue to go and feel free to keep chiming in. Anybody else out there watching, if you're watching on Twitter, join us on uh, YouTube or Facebook. Oh, I got, I went blurry. My back. Uh Oh, you're back. My back. Uh-oh. Blurry. Yeah. I'm maybe just gone. needs to refocus. No, no, you're there. You're there. All right. But yeah, continue to ask us questions as we go along. Maybe we'll switch over to the offensive side here. Um, I think the offensive side, you can give me your thoughts, Paul, but I am blown away by how good this team has been offensively. I did not expect this type of improvement out of the gate right away. Yeah, it's just so refreshing to see a Xavier team go out there and consistently trust that they can put up the points that they're going to put up. Yeah, I don't know what your, uh, I don't know what your, it's not, it's not a, it's like it's not, I don't know what the deal is. It's Andy like it's said, not re, it's not refocusing. Our guy Andy Piccarilla says, "I just wanted to flex the wedding ring." <laughs> yeah, congrats, certified coitus haver, Andy. Eat it. <laughs> um yeah, yeah i uh I, I would say if you go out there every night and you can trust that this team is going to put up at least 75 points that's I mean, they're not averaging some... 82 right they're averaging yeah. 80, over 82 points a game in your wildest dreams would you have expected that coming into the year no no not and, at all. and ranking second overall in three-point percentage yeah exactly i mean it's well yeah what's their what's their uh they're shooting yeah, 46%, 46%, which is second in the country from three-point. Utah State is the only one better, 47.8%. Arizona's right behind them at 45%. They're third. So, yeah, I, 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 I am shocked. Look at Colby Jones. Look at what Colby did this weekend. He, he hadn't made a three on the season coming into the Portland trip, misses his first one, and then he hits his next nine in a row, finished the tournament nine for 10. That's so huge for a guy like him who we've talked at length about being able to have that steady aggressiveness can he step up when Xavier needs him who's the go-to guy can it be Colby Jones if you can trust Colby Jones to shoot the ball he's not going to shoot 90% all season but if you can trust him to be able to step into a shot like that with confidence the rest of the way and not be shy about taking those open threes like we have seen at some points the the Portland Colby is what Xavier's going to need. How could he not get a confidence boost from the way he shot the ball? Oh my god, that was awesome! Every time he stepped into a three, it was it wasn't just like he's rattling them in. These things were nothing but net. His shot looked so pure there. And no, do I expect him to be one of the best three point shooters in the country? No, but am I surprised that he shot the ball well early here? Not at all. I you. You've seen him in practice. Um, Adam and I saw him a lot in this preseason. He shot the ball really well during this preseason. And it was really more of a matter for me of like, is he ever going to get aggressive enough and confident enough as an offensive player to where he shows that side of his game regularly? And, you know, it's obviously a small sample size, only talking about three a three-game stretch here in Portland. But if you go nine for 10 in any stretch of three games, much less a stretch where you played Florida, Duke, and Gonzaga – you would think that would have some type of carryover effect into the next month or so of play. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And when you look to at, at how Colby has kind of matured in his decision-making and everything else, you look at how he played 
was it yesterday in in the second half against Gonzaga where you just got the sense like he knew somebody had to step up and that was again refreshing well and that's what we've been waiting to see from him right is those situations where hey someone's got to do it right now guys we need to make a move or this thing ain't happening who's going to be that guy he has never been willing to be that guy in the past, at least not on a consistent basis. I think we saw some of that from him while they were in Portland. The nice thing about it is this year, he might have another guy on this roster who's willing to step up and shoulder some of that load. And I'm talking about Sule Boom. Sule Boom, to me, he seems to be a guy who relishes that role. And I'm sure some Xavier fans are are sick of me here, sick, sick of hearing me talk about an alpha or having a go-to score in an end of game situation. But I think it is so important that you have guys that are willing to fill roles like that. And Sule, it, it doesn't come naturally to everybody. It seems like it comes naturally to him. Yeah. He's the team's second leading scorer, almost 16 points a game, just a tick under, but he's just, he's shooting the over 50% from the field, 51.6% from the field. He's shooting 90% from the free throw line and 52% from three. But those are ridiculous numbers. And to get that again out of a transfer where he's not a one for one swap with Nate Johnson, but you're losing that shooting production out of Nate Johnson last year, out of a transfer, out of somebody who you could trust to go in and step up and hit a three, hit a big shot. And now Sule, he comes in and he's been nothing short of incredible. I couldn't agree more. I've loved the way that he's played. And it's not just him piling up stats against Fairfield or against Morgan State. Like early in the year, you see him play well. It's like, okay, well, great. He's already averaged 19 a game in Conference USA. You knew he could beat the big sky teams. You knew he could perform well against guys that are at a lower level than he was previously. The question is, what's going to happen when you get into Big East play? The PK-85 was a great preview of that type of level of competition. And he was awesome. I mean, he really stepped up. He had no issue still being able to get his shot off. He was still drawing fouls on defenders. Is he great defensively? No, but he's holding his own well enough. And I, I mean, I I think they did a great job going out and getting Sule Boom. To me, he looks like a guy that's going to be a difference maker, not just in the non-conference portion, not during just bye games, but when you get into the nitty-gritty of the Big East schedule. Yeah. So how do you think, Rick, this offense can blossom when they get fully healthy? I mean, they've had Colby out for a couple of games. Adam Kunkel now, he's been hurt, didn't play yesterday, got hurt in the second half of that Duke game. You're still waiting to see all the pieces come together. Now seven games. Also, good to see again. You're starting to see all the... I'm back. back. Let's go. You're back. Uh, You're starting... You're waiting to see all these pieces play well together in one game when they're all on the court together. Yeah, well, I think that's the crazy thing about this. You've had Colby Jones not at 100% because of his ankle injury. You've had Adam Kunkel missing games due to the concussion now. And, I mean, again, Soleil Boom was a new piece. Like, I expected them to take some time before they figured this thing out offensively. And then, even after that, I thought they would be somewhat better than last year, but not a complete 180 to a team that can outscore or score right with the nation's elite teams. And they're already to that point. And that's before they've figured this stuff out. So yeah, I think really I'm super impressed to see what they can be when everybody's healthy, when everybody's on the same page. And then I think, where do you go if you're in terms of you're looking for upside, how can they get better? 
It's what you brought up before. Where are they going to get some scoring pop off of the bench? Because it really is just the starters right now. I mean, it's your top three or four guys really shouldering the load every single game. I don't think that's a big issue personally, and I think you can win that way. But is there a point where you get more firepower off the bench down the line? Because that could help take you to another level on that end of the floor. I guess my question for you would be, who would you say is most likely to fill that role? If we're guaranteeing that somebody is going to give them a lift off the bench at some point this year, who do you think that person would be? You know, physically, and what I saw this weekend in Portland, just somebody that can hold up against this competition that I'm hoping for a Xavier team to take a step, Des Claude. Yeah. I mean, he's, he did not look like a freshman as much as he had even just a couple of games earlier. he's he, To me, he has shown marked improvement in just a couple of games. Yeah, and Mark Miller asks, uh, well, he says, how do you think the freshmen are doing? Desmond seems to have definitely improved from game one. I, I agree. I think Desmond is getting better. Now, the problem Desmond had is you went from, hey, this Desmond Claude guy has been a nice revelation in preseason practice. He looks like he's going to be something, to this Desmond Claude guy is unbelievable to a couple national scouts come in the week before the season starts. Like he's going to be gone after next year. He's going straight to the NBA folks. Forget about it. So it's like the hype got so off the rails so quickly with Desmond Claude that expectations got all out of whack. And I mean, I think for those of us that saw him on a regular basis in preseason practice, we were like, yeah, he is definitely better than advertised. He is going to definitely be a major piece for Xavier here, whether it be this year or over the next two or three years, but then after a certain point, we started looking around going, all right, I don't know if he's quite as good as some of these national people are saying, having come in for practice for one day, watched him talk to the coaches and then written something up that was sensationalized and got some clicks. So I think some of the, the expectations have gotten out of whack for the freshmen, especially Desmond. I think you're right, though. I think Desmond is probably the guy that has the best chance to at some point figure it out and really make an impact and give this team a lift off the bench. The other one, and this may be cheating, I could see Zach Fremantle becoming that guy for this team. And you might say, well, Zach Fremantle's a starter. How does that work? Yeah, I know. And Sean Miller has continuously told us that when they went back and looked at the numbers from last year, it says that they were better defensively with both big men on the floor than they were without. Yet I continue to watch them, and I find it hard to believe that's actually the case. I just still think that when they go to a smaller lineup and they have Colby Jones guarding front court players and on offense, they're they're moving the ball a little bit better and they have a little bit better spacing. To me, I think that they look better at times with the smaller lineup. So am I uh, am I saying that's a definite thing? Absolutely not. But could I see them at some point saying, you know what? Maybe we move Zach Fremantle to the bench to both give us some more firepower there in that second unit when we bring some guys off the bench and also get us going defensively a little bit and try a, a smaller group out there. I think that could be a possibility down the line. We talked a little bit about him earlier, but Kiki Tandy, what did you see from Kiki out of his performances against not just the bye games, but higher level competition? I think you saw what we've come to expect out of Kiki, which is that Adam Kunkel is the the guy, the more reliable player. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's supposed to be. He's going to be in position defensively. He's going to do a better job defensively, and he's going to make better decisions for you offensively. Kiki is a microwave. He can give you some offense. He has a role on this team, certainly off the bench as a shooter and scorer. 
But then I think you also saw him get in some situations where he's putting up quick shots, taking out of your flow offensively a little bit, losing some of that feel that he showed in the early bye games where he was making a nice pass to an open teammate, setting some guys up and looking like he could make some more plays. I know Sean Miller said, I think after that last game against Gonzaga, that he he thought Kiki came a long way and learned some things on this trip. So we'll see what happens going forward in terms of his playing time. But I tend to think you're you're going to continue to see a trend that we saw in Portland, which is Adam Kunkel getting more of those minutes back on the wing and uh, Kiki becoming more of a true role player off the bench. Sure. Uh, I do want to say for everybody watching right now on YouTube, make sure you go down and hit the subscribe button. That just helps. Rick and I are going to, we won't do the live podcast every week. Uh, We will record every Monday night. We might not do the live thing every week, but just in case, like Rick, you and I decided to do this about an hour and a half ago, we decided to do it live instead of just pre-recorded. So if we ever just do it spontaneously, if you subscribe, you'll make sure you'll see it. Yeah, I, I don't know. You guys let me know if you like these things. I like it because I, I feel like there are times where we get talking and it's hard to remember, oh, I wanted to talk about this. Or, hey, a lot of people are asking about this on the message board. It's nice to see you guys chime in occasionally here in the comments and say, hey, what about the freshman? What about Desmond Claw? What about this? It gives it kind of sparks the conversation yeah. a little bit for us, I think, and breaks it up a little bit, which makes it nice. Because sometimes you get into your your set. We do so many of these things throughout the week where it's like, you know, you get into like 40 minutes to an hour, you're locked and you're just talking, you turn the thing off just by habit. And you're like, oh man, I meant to bring this up or that up. So, yep. Uh, I see a couple of questions on cam craft, so we can lump those both together. Basically, uh, how do you see cams role expanding, especially as this season goes on, Rick? Um, I, I'm a, a little bit surprised that he's looked as uncomfortable as he has at times on the floor. He just, he looks like a freshman out there and he hasn't seemed confident at all on the offensive side in terms of hunting his own shots and, and just getting shots period. I didn't expect that to be the case. I knew he was going to have issues defensively. I knew he might not have a big role right away, but I thought he would be hunting his own shots. That's always who he's been. He's been an uber confident player. I'm waiting to see that cam craft. And until I see that version of him, the guy who is like, give me the ball and let me get a three point squeeze off because I don't know how long I'm going to be on the floor for. I'm going to have questions about how many minutes he can really give you because that's, that's his role on this team. They don't, are they asking him to do other things and be solid defensively when he's in there? Certainly. But his role is to come in and heat it up, make a couple of quick threes and get back out of there. If he's not providing that, if he's not even looking to score when he's on the floor, then I don't know how many minutes he can really give this team. So I think, yeah, absolutely. He can find a bigger role. I think he could really have a nice role late in this year. If he can become that guy off the bench, he could even take some of Kiki's minutes away, potentially, if he can be that guy who gives you a couple of quick shots when he's on the floor and and you think that he's there's actually the possibility of that happening. Right now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when he's in there, I don't really have much faith that he's going to shoot the ball period, much less with confidence and give you a couple of quick baskets. So that that's kind of where it's at with cam in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. He just looks like he's, he's lost right now. It just seems like he needs some more time, uh, some more experience, whether it's practice, whatever it might be under his belt, just to, to feel more confidence in there. Because for now it seems like when he gets on the court, it's just a deer in the headlights. Um, did we already talk about Deontay miles? I can't remember. No, we I don't. No, we didn't. And I know okay. someone had a question about it. Up well, here. I, uh, I was going to bring it up. I just I I couldn't remember if we had already done that in this show. We have not. So 
I think Deontay played great defensively and looks lost offensively. Uh, do you agree, disagree, Rick? How do you see it? Yeah, I think that's about right. I think if Deontay can give them five minutes a game from a defensive standpoint and maybe even grab a rebound or two while he's in there, or at least not get abused on the glass, not get pushed underneath and given up offensive putbacks, things of that nature, then he's got his role right there. Do I think he's going to like blossom into this guy who takes minutes from Jack or Zach? I, I mean, realistically, no. I I just don't see that happening at this point. Um, and those are two year better players, so it's it's going to be tough for him to find much of a bigger role than, like I said, a, a handful of minutes per game. But that's an important role for this team because let's face it, like they have nothing behind Jack or Zach in terms of size right now on the bench. There's been the occasion where Jerome Hunter has come in for a minute or two and given them uh, a a decent option, especially defensively. I think against Gonzaga, Jerome had had really one of his better games and and he was solid in there. But overall, I mean, it's really Jack and Zach and then you go small with Colby. So I, I think as much as Deontay can provide for them defensively and rebounding, they'll give him those minutes. That role will always be there for him this year i don't think he's going to improve much past that role yeah um i'm looking at some other things we had written down to talk about we've hit most of the things that you and i were were uh, going to talk about coming into this i'm looking at the questions right now see a few that we like the format that's good people like it i like the uh like the format here especially driving to work love this format there we go sounds like we did all right tonight rick yeah, good. I mean, as much as, you know, we'll continue to do this thing. I think it can also be really cool if we do it like post game right after a big win or something. If yep. we all jump on here and you guys can interact with us, so we can kind of do it like a call in show. I think there's Twitter, uh, Twitter spaces too. We'll, we'll definitely yeah. fire up the Twitter spaces that did you see the Yukon one last night after they won? I did not. It Was had it over a thousand people. Really? I mean, total like at the end, but like concurrently, That's they incredible. were averaging like over 300. It was, oh, okay. un- that's, it was unbelievable. That's a little more reasonable, but that's still impressive. Yeah. They were, uh, yeah, UConn looked good. I'm not to get derailed here into the rest of the Big East, but I'm going to tell you what. I watched almost every minute of, of UConn the first two games and then the, the championship game we, we had the flight home. Um, they looked unbelievable. I yeah. mean, they, when UConn you, when and you got, both look, when look you, legit. Yeah, when you got Adama Sonogo stepping out and and banging threes and and Donovan Klingon, where did Donovan Klingon come from? I mean, great name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he just all of a sudden you're you're you got to learn a whole new roster of of UConn guys that you're sitting there watching this team and you're going, man, Dan Hurley, he he, he put it together this year. Um, Alex wants to know: Is Villanova actually bad? I know they have two guys missing, but they're horrible right now. Uh, I, I said before the season that my hot take hot, if it's even hot was that Villanova wasn't going to finish in the top three in the big East. They look really bad right now, even outside of Cam Whitmore and Justin Moore being hurt. I know we talked about it for a second earlier, but, uh, they look bad. I mean, they look straight up bad. This yeah, hand, hand up like I, I couldn't have been more wrong about the the top of the Big East. I I was iffy on Creighton. I wasn't buying into all that hype. And I fully believe that Villanova would still be good. Now, if you take any of these teams that we're talking about, you take two, away their top two players or two of their top three players. 
they're not going to look good. Yeah, so let's yeah. just get that off. Like that is the major issue. For hey, Nimhard, Cup runner. Yeah, we'll see you. Sonogo, yeah. see you tomorrow. Or Xavier, yeah. no Colby Jones and no Jack Nunji. How are how's Xavier going to look? Yeah, not good, right? Okay, so that's the major issue for Villanova is that they just don't have the talent without those two guys. I I am a little concerned about some of their other talent that it hasn't stepped up as well. And then the really concerning issue is that. I mean, already there are people questioning Kyle Neptune. And as much as it's unfair, it feels unfair to do this early on. We had kind of heard some things and some rumblings even before the season started from people that are around the program that weren't great. And now you're getting into the games and you're seeing what's going on. And you're like, yeah, this doesn't look like Jay Wright's Villanova right now. Well, and the thing that I, I tweeted this during the game, um, I'm getting lost with all the games that happened this week. And I think you it was saw a few first- of them this week. Oh my God. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember <laughs> what a show Paul for one. Yeah. How about that? I didn't even see that president Hanich just from the clouds. Did you see that? No, I have no idea what you're even talking oh, about. Oh, that, th- that was the hashtag. So Adam tweeted while we were on the flight, Adam tweeted Portland, Paul, which I missed. And then Dr. Hanich responded with that hashtag. Paul for one. I love Dr. Hannich, a big Fritchner fan. Who isn't though? Really? Yeah. Well, well, she was great. So she, Dr. Hannich comes down uh, around the end of the game. She'll come down and stand like in front of the band, right around where I stand for our on-court promotions. And so I think it was, I forget which game it was, uh, but I had her, I was like, Hey, you want to come out and just throw a t-shirt? She goes, you tell me what to do. I'll roll with her. I go, president of the university. Want to come out here and do that? If you want to roll with it. That's good PR. I love it, Dr. Hanich. So do you think with uh your guys' newfound relationship and friendship that uh you could text her and she would do one of the Musketeer Report live shows on here? Do you think she would just hop on here and talk to uh Why not? Jerome Hunter fan club and Alex Short? <laughs> talk some hoops, Andy Pick. Yeah, Andy Pick's on here. That'd be sweeter um, than apple butter. But uh but but to go back, I, I want to make sure I make this point about Villanova is I tweeted this during the the game. It was Iowa State. It was the first game. There were times in that game, and and one moment stuck out in particular, where Chris Archidiakono, and and we talked about how they don't have a point guard. Chris Archidiakono was was dribbling up the court. You know know how Sule Boom actually got a turnover and a, a steal this way against Florida, where you're dribbling up the court, you go to take a timeout, and then, you know, it, it, uh, you like, jump the guy as he's looking you, you back. You jump at his the coach. guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, he's looking for the timeout. I think that was against Florida that Sule did that. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Archie Diacono goes over to do the same thing where he's dribbling up the court, goes into the high corner, and he dribbles the ball off his foot and out of bounds. Yikes. And you could tell that he was slowing down probably to call a timeout. He was looking at the bench. He was slowing down. And I'm thinking to myself that it's such a small mistake. That could happen to anybody, right? Like Scotty Pippen. It could happen to Scottie Pippen. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But odd reference, but yes, yeah, it could. It I'm could just, happen to Scottie Pippen. Yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it could happen to anybody. It could sure. happen to the best of us. But you never see that happen with Villanova. You don't see those little things happen with Villanova. And to me, it's just when I see that, I'm thinking, man, I've I've watched this Villanova team for almost 10 years now since they've joined the Big East. And I can't remember the last time I've seen these little mistakes where now 
there those were are the things that all their opponents do against them usually, right? Yeah. Like it feels like all those little things go in their favor typically, and it's just a microcosm of what's going on right now. Yes. Yeah. So Villanova could use a Scottie Pippen. <laughs> they could they could use Scottie Pippen as the moral of the story. Alex Shore uh, says, is there a point where Whitmore just doesn't play the season and prepares for the NBA? I've heard he's a one and done. I've and heard he, he's I've heard he's close to being back. Yeah, I, I just think he's he's too close to being ready. If this was a thing where he's not going to be back till the end of January or February, maybe that's the case. But it sounds like he might be back in December, right? If it, if it's like February fifteenth, Villanova's not really in the NCAA tournament picture, and it's like, ah, what are we going to do? Do we want to make a run at Madison Square Garden, you know, or am I sitting out? That's one thing. But if Dickie V. Dickie V's on the sources, man. Dickie V's sourcing it, and and he said tonight that he heard from somewhere that Cam Whitmore was going to be back soon. He he should be back sooner rather than I I I am under the impression that he will be on the court whenever Xavier plays them um, the first time. So you I don't know all, for sure. I don't know for sure, but you've been all over the the Big East teams, watching them, covering them. Give me like your top three or four Big East teams right now, based on what we've seen. And I know I realize like, hey, a couple of them look very good right now, so that's not easy. But just total thought exercise here. What do you think? Creighton and UConn look great. Great. I was. I was. How, how would how would you rank them? Who do you like better right now? Creighton. Creighton, I like a little better, but man, it might be one. It, I don't even know if I'd go one A one B. UConn looked so good this weekend, but but where I give Creighton the edge is I think that Creighton's wins are better than UConn's wins. Like, UConn just made it look so easy as they were doing it, but you're right. It wasn't like elite teams that they were beating, but it was good teams, and they made it look so easy. Like Creighton went down to the wire against Arizona. I know they didn't win, but they went down to the wire against Arizona, and they looked really good doing it against an Arizona team that one of the best teams, if not the best teams in the country with probably the best front court in the country. Uh, Ballo and Tubelis are unbelievable. Arizona, they, uh, they had a, they had an interesting Maui trip. Arizona did. Yes, they did. We had a, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so Creighton, so you go Creighton, then Yukon. I would go Creighton and Yukon right back to back. Um, and then I would I would put Xavier at third, and you know who has looked not bad? St. John's. St. John's looked I, pretty good. St. John's looked all right. They won a title. They they look decent. Uh, a team that I'm a little surprised has not looked as good as I thought they were going to in the last week or so uh, was Butler. I thought I thought Butler might show better. Um, they looked really good in the opening week week and a half, and then. Went down to the Bahamas, and I, I don't know how yeah, much that, to expect out of point, Butler this year. 15-point loss to NC State was not a good look. No, no, especially not in the Manny Bates revenge game. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Jerome Hunter Fan Club wants to know, what's your opinion on how many bids the Big East gets this year? I think Xavier, Creighton, and UConn for sure, and toss in a fourth. Villanova, I think Villanova gets it together. I think they get in. I think four get in for certain. It's my guess is there's going to be like, like you said, three definites, a fourth that's for sure getting in, but they're kind of a bubble team. And then there's going to be two more bubble teams and maybe one of those gets in. So it's, yeah. it's going to be probably five, four would be a bad year. I would say. Yeah. I, I think there's three, I think Creighton, UConn and Xavier 
for sure to get in. And I, but think, I mean, uh, we say we say that, and I mean, at the top of this podcast, we were talking about is Xavier going to have a single quad one win going into conference play? So it's like, you know, I mean, I guess Xavier could be that team that's on the bubble, and maybe you're really only talking about getting four teams in. Yeah. So yeah, fifth. yeah, you're right. But I, I think I think Villanova can get it together, and I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe St. John's, maybe St. John's puts together a good season. Andre Corbello, just the biggest, like high, high ceiling, low floor guy in the country. You just never know what you're going to get out of that guy. If you, for anybody that has never watched Andre Corbello play basketball, just buckle up for when the Musketeers play the Johnnies this season. Cause it is, is it is a roller coaster of a ride. Uh, where does the Big East rank in conferences this year? Well, that's a good question. Right now, um, Ken Palm has them fourth between the SEC and the Pac-12. So it goes Big 12, Big 10, SEC, Big East, then Pac-12. I mean, that's that's pretty typical of where they're at usually, right? They're usually right about fourth, I think. Yeah, so Big East finished. Uh, I'm trying to take a look here at the at – the, uh, how do we go back in the history of the conferences? Oh, here, 22? Big East. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It it popped up, populated a different page. <laughs> I hit the wrong. I hit the wrong thing. Yeah, they uh, were fourth last year. Yep, fourth last year. Two years ago, they were oh six. Sick. Well, that was the COVID year. Oh yeah, didn't play as many games. Uh, third in 2020, 2019, Big East was fifth. So yeah, somewhere in that range. We don't need it. Yeah go all the way T- back typically yeah. third to fifth so uh fourth is pretty typical which is where they're at right now uh ship wants to know if xavier keeps playing like they did in portland would you have them at over or under 14 conference wins Ooh, that's a good question i you know i what did i pick in the preseason i think i said 12 and 8 in the preseason i'd probably say over under if you gave me 14 and a half i might say under at 14 but i think this team might look a, a shade better than 12 yeah, I'm looking at your uh, season preview podcast. I, you had them at 12 and 8 in the Big yeah, East. I said 12 and 8, and I think Xavier could probably – right now, Ken Palm has them at 12 and 8, and 19 and 12 overall. I had them at 20 and 11 uh, overall. But Ken Palm also has Xavier going four straight losses at St. John's, home against UConn, at Villanova, home against Creighton. They probably win one of those, if not two of those. Um, you know, now maybe they lose a game that it says they should win. I, it's all semantics, but I, uh, I'm definitely going under here. I don't see them winning. I don't see 14. them winning 15. Yeah. I don't see them winning 15. Uh, where is next year's Thanksgiving tournament? It has not been announced officially, but I've seen it in enough articles that it's going to be in Savannah. Yeah. There's a, there's a tournament in Georgia that, it's them and the Georgia Bulldogs right now that's com- that are committed, right? Xavier and Georgia are the only two teams committed, and it's a. I think I don't want to say anything for sure because I haven't I haven't seen enough, um, but it's in Savannah, and it's. I don't really know much else other than that. I don't even know the name. Of I don't it. think I don't know if anybody knows much else uh, at this point. Yeah. So, okay. Um, ACC, ACC stinks. FSU and Louisville would finish middle of the pack in the MAC. Do you want to spend like 10 seconds on Louisville or do we not even want to waste the time? <laughs> I mean, I, I find it fascinating. I can't get enough of Louisville. I know other people are already over it and like quit talking about Louisville. I love it. I, I, I'm i excited. I've been looking like, when is their next game? I want to see if they can win. 
people have been clamoring on the rebound rundown for me to talk about Louisville, and now I understand why when it's just consistently just heartbreak I mean, after this, heartbreak. This is not like if if Cincinnati stinks. Like people don't care if UC stinks at basketball. No offense, that, I'm not like trying to take shots, but like it's it's not that big of a deal if UC has a terrible year. Louisville has a year like this, and like lives are ruined. It, this is a big freaking deal in in that area. So yeah. I, I'm totally fascinated by it. Are they playing right now? No, I, I just I don't think so because I just talked about how excited I was to watch them play. I'm pretty sure. Uh, no, no, they they're play playing Wednesday. tomorrow against Maryland. Or to Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday. Tomorrow, okay. Because somebody just texted me, and I thought maybe they were listening to this, and then I realized that was 15 minutes ago. Uh, uh, okay, Paul, Paul needs the hook to take the under. Uh, yeah, I can don't, we talk I don't, about if we're doing betting talk? Can we talk about Xavier overs? Oh, it's just it's it's printing. The six and one, six it's and printing. one of the over right now. The only game that went under was the Duke game so far. That game went up. What was the final score of that game? What was the total in that game? I didn't 70, had... 71 64 was the final. So 135. Oh, right. The total was 148 and a half. That's right. So they were well under in that game. Uh, Alex Shore, I'm going to the away St. John's game. Will Xavier win? It's a great question, Alex. That is a fantastic question. Rick, your thoughts? Uh, I'll say no. It's at, at St. John's. I'll say no. Xavier always has trouble at Carneseca. Yeah. And their transition defense hasn't been great. And what do you not want to be bad at when playing St. John's? Transition defense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see here. Is there anything? It's typical for Clifton to stink. What's happening in Louisville is not only unique, but it's beautiful. They have, Louisville has issues right now, Rick, that are just beyond. It's beyond comprehension. Well, and it's actually fair and just and right. And everyone feels like this should have happened years ago to Louisville with all the scandals and the way that they have completely sold their souls to try to win both in basketball and football. It is nice to see them go through this. This is what they deserve. They should have the death penalty right now. They brought prostitutes to a dormitory for student athletes on purpose. They should be in this situation. I have no issue with it. It's happening a little after the fact, but I have no problem with it. I can't wait to clip that. <laughs> it's going to be the Stephen A. Smith, Lamar Odom clip. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we got, right? I don't have anything, got anything else. anything else? All right. Uh, no. Do we, are you uh, West yeah. Virginia? Do we want to predict that game? Uh, we can. Did we? I'm I'm trying to go back. I think I said in the preseason pod that it was a win. I'm going to stick with it. I think you said it was a loss. You had you it as st- a win. I had it as a loss, I believe. Yes. Okay. I will stick with the win. Do you, you want to stick with the loss? I would like to flip it. I I think the Xavier team can win that game. I th- I am totally blown away by the way they're playing on offense. I just can't like the ball movement, the shot selection, the guys buying into the roles. Everything has been improved offensively overnight. I am I couldn't be more impressed with that. I think that gets them the win against West Virginia. Perfect. All right. Well, again, for anybody that's listening right now on YouTube, go down, hit that subscribe button. Rick and more I will importantly, do this we again. have we have like another two hours left of a seventy five percent off sale. Oh, we should have done that at the beginning. We're so bad at pubbing this yeah. site. 
I am I'm bad at pub, but 75% off sale, two more hours. This is it makes a great Christmas gift for somebody if you want just log, you know, log in their email first before you do it. Buy them a subscription and then just tell them, "Hey, got your subscription. They're going to love it and then next year you just get to renew it." So now you never have to think of a Christmas gift for that person. You just keep renewing every year for their Musketeer Report subscription. It's great. Perfect. I know several people who do that and it, they love it. So maybe you should try this year. Perfect. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next Monday.